Welcome to a special message with Michael Anthony at CourageMatters.com. Today, we have a special guest speaker, Pastor Joe Ercoli from Grace Fellowship in York, Pennsylvania. Pastor Joe is the next steps pastor at Grace Fellowship, where Michael Anthony serves as the lead pastor. So hold on to your seats as Pastor Joe teaches from God's Word. Keep calm and repent. Keep calm and repent. It's something that's more than just a catchy phrase on a t-shirt, but really should characterize the life of every Christ follower. But if we're honest today, and if I'm honest with you from my own experience, looking around at what happens in my life and in our lives and in our nation, I think a more appropriate slogan to be on a t-shirt would be freak out and rebel. Freak out and rebel. Because that often characterizes your experience and mine and what's happening in our nation. Freak out and rebel. If you don't know what I mean, all you have to do is turn the news on for five minutes or surf through social media for just a couple and people are losing their minds. We are freaking out. And as if what's happening in our nation isn't enough, again, if we're honest with one another here this morning, there are oftentimes things in our own lives that cause us to freak out or be tempted to freak out. Whether it's a poor medical diagnosis from your doctor, a sick and maybe even a dying relative or spouse, a demanding and draining job that sucks up, it seems like, all of your time and energy and effort and you've got no time or energy for anything else, or a wayward child who's turned from the Lord and walked away. Whatever it is, there's always at least one thing in your life and in mine that cries out within us that we wanna freak out. It's uncertain, it's unknown, what's gonna happen? And when this happens, we experience, you and I, we experience spiritual myopia. Now, if you don't know what myopia is, it's nearsightedness. So we get spiritual nearsightedness. What do I mean? Our problems in our lives and in our families and in our nation seem to loom so large in front of us that they're menacing and they really do cause us to freak out. And in those moments, where's God? We can't see him. We can't hear him. It seems like he's not moving. It seems like he's not up to a whole lot of anything because our problems are right in front of our face, menacing. So what do we do? We go to God's word. God's word, the timeless and timely word of God that is the most relevant book on the face of the earth. We don't have to make it relevant. I'm not up here preaching a sermon going, I have to make this relevant. It is relevant for us today. And the amazing thing that we're gonna see is that from an incident from the nation of Israel that happened between 1500 and 2000 years ago, that's very similar to what's happening in our nation, speaks very accurately to what you and I, to what we need in our families, in our churches, and in our nation. You see, the nation of Israel many times, and we're gonna look at one of them this morning, went through political and social turmoil, upheaval, and uncertainty. And in those times, one that we're gonna look at this morning, the king over Israel has just died. 
and people are freaking out. They don't know what's next. There's an unknown. There's a lot of fear in the people's hearts and there's a lot of rebellion going on. And they're wondering, is the next king going to be a godly king? Is he going to lead us to the feet of God? Or is he gonna be ambivalent and not really care about anyone except himself? Or even worse, is he going to be antagonistic towards his own God, Yahweh, towards his own God and persecute people who wanna follow the Lord? A lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty. And it's in the midst of this uncertainty that God Almighty breaks in and gives a glimpse, a glimpse of who he is. And it radically changes the prophet who he gives the vision to and the nation, and it should radically change us. Now this passage we're gonna look at this morning is very short, but it reminds me of a decision that I made this week. See, I like to impress my wife. And so I had the brilliant, just brilliant idea. I got a bag of scorpion peppers from a friend. I hear some laughing, good. You know what that is. I didn't know at the time the significance of really what that scorpion pepper was. So I had the great idea. I pulled this pepper out of the bag and I went, oh, this doesn't, this doesn't smell. I got a knife out of the drawer, cut the top off, gutted the seeds out and went, no, no, that doesn't smell hot. And I said to my wife, hey, smell this. This doesn't smell hot, does it? And she just smiled. You, you idiot, you idiot. I know where you're going with this. You're an idiot, oh boy, here we go. And so I said, well, it doesn't smell hot, so it probably isn't that hot. Oh, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna prove, I'm gonna prove to you how much I love you by eating a piece of the scorpion pepper. So I, I, I took the knife and I, and I cut a little slice off and then, I heroically announced that I was going to now place it on my tongue, and I did. I waited for a second, and I said, this isn't that hot. (laughs) No sooner, I kid you not, no sooner did I get those words out of my mouth, did I find myself being thrust down to my knees in agony and pain. My automatic response is to spit this little teeny tiny piece out of my mouth, and I'm yelling, this is the hottest thing that I've ever had in my whole life. My mouth was on fire. So as my mouth is on fire, I get some milk and I start drinking it and I'm Googling scorpion peppers only to realize that according to Wikipedia, they are the second hottest pepper in the whole world. So don't, moral of the story is don't do that, okay? Just don't. You see, I thought that this pepper, it was small, it was innocent, it didn't smell like it was that hot. I thought, come on, this hot, this ain't hot. I was sorely mistaken. And that tiny pepper packed a powerful punch. And that's exactly what this very short, but all inspiring passage is going to do for you and going to do for me this morning. So turn with me in our father's word to Isaiah chapter six, we're gonna look at verses one through eight. And as you're turning there, I wanna give just a little bit of background so that you and I can understand the significance of what we're about to read. Now you heard me say earlier that the king of Israel had died. That was King Uzziah. He had reigned and ruled for 52 years. He died. And again, the fear, 
the turmoil, the rebellion, the freaking out in the nation of Israel, what's next, what's gonna happen? And God shows himself the one true king. That's what we need. So we're gonna do something a little different today. I want you to close your eyes. I promise I'm not gonna put any hot peppers under your nose. Close your eyes and with childlike imagination, I want you to hear what the prophet Isaiah is hearing. I want you to see what he's seeing and I want you to feel what he's feeling. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I replied, here I am, send me. Open your eyes. Wow. Wow. What adds to the wow factor is that the apostle John in his gospel in John 12, 41, speaking of this vision that we're reading about this morning, says that Isaiah is gazing upon the face of Jesus Christ. He's looking at the pre-incarnate Jesus in all of his majesty and all of his holiness and in all of his splendor. And look at what he says, verse one. He says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the whole temple. What's the significance of that? In this day, a king's robe, the length of his robe, signified his measure of authority or his sovereignty over his kingdom. Now I want you to picture what would it look like for a robe to be so long, a kingly robe, not a bathrobe, to be so long that it filled this whole auditorium and Isaiah is grasping for words to help us understand the weightiness and the significance of what he is gazing upon, who he is gazing upon. Jesus, the absolute sovereign one. And notice it says that he's, he's sitting on his throne. He's sitting. What do we not see him doing? We don't see him pacing back and forth in his throne room, wringing his hands, asking the seraphim, the angels going, hey, could you, could you 
just real quick, could you bring me one of those heavenly tums? Because my stomach is just in knots. It's just in so many knots. I'm, I, I just, I'm freaking out. I don't know what to do. It's not what we see him doing. He's sitting. He's sovereign over everything. He's sitting right now on that same throne. Right now. In control of everything. And this Jesus, in Colossians 1, 16 through 18, Paul says that everything was made by Jesus and everything was made for Jesus so that in everything, in the Greek, that literally means every, all, everything, in everything, he, Jesus, might have supremacy over everything. Church, this is our God. See, he simply, he simply speaks and he creates. Astronomers estimate that we have over 100 billion galaxies in the known universe. <sighs> no problem. No problem. How about a proper planet, a proper housing, a proper dwelling for his most magnificent of all creations? Us. The only planet that can sustain life simply speaks and it's created. How about the one who said to the mountains, this high, no higher, this low, no lower, or to the waters of the sea, which he had in his hand and poured out, here and no further, to the land this far and no more. How about the one who raises up kings and then just, just when they think it's all about me, gone. Who does all of that? Jesus. Jesus does. And Isaiah is encountering this Jesus. The one who gives him the very breath and you and I the very breath right now that we're breathing to sit and listen to God's word. He's standing in front of this holy, magnificent, majestic God of everything. How about the unseen half of the universe? Jesus made that too. Look with me at verse two. Above him stood the seraphim, in Hebrew, this word could be translated burning ones or fiery ones, fiery angelic beings. And it's not enough that they would just have two wings to fly. No, it says that they have six, six wings, two to cover their feet, two to fly, and two to cover their face. Angelic beings in the presence of God, why do they have to cover their face? Because they can't, gaze upon the holiness of our great God. They can't even look at him. And as they're flying and covering their faces, they're yelling back and forth to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Sovereign over everything. And what does Isaiah do? Isaiah, the prophet, Isaiah, God's spokesman. See, out of anybody in Israel, Isaiah should have been the one to have this vision and walk in, picture him walking in into the, into the temple. Oh, excuse me, seraphim. Oh, excuse me. Oh, hey, why don't you watch your wing next time you caught me in the face there? Okay, 
Oh, hey, what's up, God? Oh, that's right, I got a bell. Okay, yeah, okay. Um, just want to let you know the state of the union of Israel is not good. Things aren't going well. People rebelling, a lot of people uncertain as to what's going on. Uh, I don't want to tell you what to do because you're God and I'm not, but you should probably figure out this king situation. Is that, is that what we see here? Verse five, Isaiah sees this and his response is woe is me. In Hebrew, this could be literally translated as I am flying apart. Isaiah is in the presence of the holiest of holies and he says, I'm flying apart. God hasn't said a single word to him. He hasn't looked at Isaiah and said, oh, Isaiah, that dirty, rotten sinner. He hasn't said a single word to Isaiah. All Isaiah does is see a glimpse of Jesus in his absolute sovereignty. And he falls on his face, heart pounding, sweat pouring, gut wrenching, and his response, the only thing that he can get out of his lips is, woe is me, for I am undone. And the prophet who had been pointing the finger at everybody else, pronouncing judgment upon everybody else, now pronounces judgment upon his own head. And upon seeing this holy God, he says, woe is me for I am undone. I, I, I am a man of unclean lips. And then he says, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes, my eyes have seen the king, the king, capital K, king of everything. And I'm undone. I am undone. Church, this is what we need. This is who you need. This is who I need. This is who our nation needs. We so often forget who our God is. And this is why we can't keep calm. And this is why we can't repent. We don't see God for who he is. You see, we would rather spend time surfing social media or watching television, or if you're like me, men in here especially, watching too much football. Those are all fine things in and of themselves, but they take us away from the word of God. They distract us from who God is, from seeing who God is. And this is the only cure for your spiritual myopia and mine. This, seeing God in all of his splendor and glory and majesty, seeing God for who he is, being gripped by his greatness, being in awe of his awesomeness, being held by his holiness. Why is it so hard for us? Because we don't marinate in God's word. It's hard for us because when we pray, we rush into prayer and we somehow think that if I just spew out enough words that I'm gonna get God's attention. And we bull rush into prayer and we don't take time. Friends, we don't take time. I don't take time. I don't take time to meditate on who it is that I am praying to. This should radically transform us and wake us and jar us from our apathy and our complacency. 
And we don't repent because like Isaiah, before this vision, we're pointing the finger at everybody else. They need to do this. This sermon is a great sermon for so-and-so. All while forgetting the fact, God is speaking to you. When you see him in all of his holiness, you have no other option but to say, woe is me before holy God. And the worst thing that we're guilty of, and I know this from my own experience, is that we walk away from our first love, Jesus. You see, so many of us, we come to know Christ and we are absolutely on fire for the Lord. We would give up anything for him. Years pass, we become familiar with the word, we become familiar with the cross, we become familiar with salvation, and it doesn't really mean as much anymore because we know the right words, we know the right answers. And so we chase after the next Christian book or we chase after the next Bible study or we chase after the next ministry activity that somehow gives us some satisfaction, some sense that we're somehow spiritual. Those things aren't bad in and of themselves, but what makes them dangerous, friends, what makes them dangerous is that we can do all of those things and have all of the right answers and yet live unsurrendered lives to the Lord. Every one of us has an area or areas in our lives that we have not yet surrendered to the Lord. And it's high time that we surrender them. If we want change to happen in this nation, it has to start with the man and the woman in the mirror. It has to start with you and it has to start with me. And it has to start with gazing upon our holy God. So what do we do? We gaze upon the Lord. We follow the example that we see here in Isaiah. Three keys to take away for us. The first one is that we must surrender to God's power. What do I mean? Well, from my own experience, I'll share with you one area that I struggle with. I struggle with fear, worry, and anxiety. Kind of lump them together. We'll just call them fear. I struggle with that. And I know that the Lord wants me to surrender it. I know he does. And for so long, I tried so hard. I tried so hard in my flesh. I tried so hard in my own strength. I tried to fight it. I tried to overcome it and I couldn't. It was like taking two steps forward, only to go three steps backwards. And the key friends was that I wasn't surrendered in that area. So I've begun to surrender it. And I'm gonna share with you what I pray. You can take this and craft this however best fits you. But what I've begun to pray, and I've seen immense change since I've begun to surrender this daily, emphasis on daily, to the Lord. I say, Lord, I acknowledge my own powerlessness before you, my own powerlessness to change. Not helpless, there are things that you and I can do, like go to God, okay? We're not helpless, powerless. I'm powerless, Lord, to change this in my heart, to change this in my life, powerless. And God, I ask that you would show me from your word, and he does, where it is that you don't want me to do this. And I surrender it to you, Lord. I see in your word that you wanna help me and that you can help me and that you will help me. I just have to lay this down at your feet. And you do that every day and it allows God to come and it allows God's power to work in and through you. You think I'm up here? yelling loudly and passionately just because I'm working myself up into a frenzy in my own strength? No, I've been sitting with this passage for three weeks and I'm, I'm not lying when I say this, I have wept reading this passage 
And it's not to say, look at me. It's to say, we need to look at him. We need to lift him high. Lift Jesus high. What is it that we're not surrendering? The second thing that we need to do is we need to embrace God's provision. What do I mean by that? Embrace his provision. We see in this passage that Isaiah sees God. I'm undone. I'm surrendered. I'm placing myself into your hands. You do because you have the right to. You do whatever it is you want with me. But we have to understand the grace that we so often presume upon. We don't understand grace until we understand God's glory and holiness. We don't. And God had every right in that moment. He had every right to simply snuff Isaiah out. Why? Because God hates him? No, because he's holy. He's set apart. He's perfect. But that's not what God does. No, he has the seraphim fly over with a burning coal and it touches Isaiah's lips, the very lips that Isaiah had heaped his own sin upon himself. I'm a man of unclean lips. The coal touches his lips. His sin is forgiven, his guilt atoned for. Atonement means to be at one with God, to be made at one with God. So in that moment, Isaiah was not holy. He was in the presence of the Holy One. He had no option but to surrender to the Lord and the Lord and his grace and his love and his mercy, which is unfathomable. He forgives Isaiah of his sins and makes atonement for his sin. He transfers his perfect holiness to Isaiah and takes Isaiah's sin and pays for it foreshadowing the ultimate act of atonement through Jesus Christ. When Jesus, this Jesus we're looking at here, who took on flesh, who came, lived a perfect life, sinless life, walked with God, showed us how to love God and how to love others perfectly. And then on that cross, he took all of your sin and all of mine, all of your shame and all of mine, all of your junk and all of mine, all of your rebellion and all of mine, and he paid the price for it forgiving us of our sins if we place our faith in him. The ultimate act of atonement. So I wanna pause right now. I know this is a little out of the ordinary for us, but I wanna pause right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing about this act of atonement through Jesus, being made at one with God. That through Jesus, you can enter into a relationship with this holy one that we're looking at this morning. If that's you and you've never surrendered your life to God, today is the day that you can do that. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. We'd love to hear how this message impacted you. To share your story, visit couragematters.com and click on the Your Story tab. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit couragematters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.